Hey there. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using. It would really help spread the word about the show. Thanks and happy spelling. And welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign setting in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. And Gorsh? My name is Dane, DM, podcaster, and voice. What, what does that mean? You put that in the, in the notes, Benjamin. That's a... It's meant to be like a goofy type of thing. You're supposed to be kind of my like sidekick. It's like a... You're like, oh, okay, well, gosh. Can, can I can I do it one more time? Yeah, do it again. <laughs> My name's Dane, DM, podcaster, and voice actor. Gorsh. <laughs> was that all right? Yeah, that was honestly exactly how I oh. imagined it going. So, um, Great. yeah, thank you for that. Um, in the future, I'll just do that for the, for the ne- whole next episode. I'll <laughs> yeah. just do that voice for the whole next episode. Well, I made this bed, so that's fine. <laughs> What are we talking about? We're talking about something yeah. kind of exciting today, huh? Today's a special, a special self-indulgent episode. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Ultimate Adventures Handbook, which is a book that I was the project lead on. It's released on the DMs Guild. Uh, it is print on demand, so you can head on over there right now, buy it as a PDF if you must. But you can also get it as a book, which is pretty darn sweet. That's pretty cool. Also, you know, if you do do the PDF, make sure that your the company that you work for has a printer so that you can just that's true. Yeah, print it print it from work. Right. You're gonna want. I would say at least I would give it 90 minutes to print off because wow. it's it's a big book. Two page, two sided pages. Oh man, I don't, not if you're gonna print it in color. No. Ooh. Okay. So one sided pages, 90 yeah. minutes. Stick it to the man. Right. At least, I'm going to say at least 90 minutes. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a couple of spells you've included in this book. Yeah. And finding out just what it means in the broader scope of your campaign setting. That's right. And the first one we're going to start with today is a spell I wrote. It's called Make Camp. Can you tell us a little bit about it, Dane? Sure. Uh, Make Camp is a first level spell. It has a casting time of one minute and a range of touch lasts eight hours when you cast this spell while setting up camp the area within 20 feet of where you cast this spell gains the following benefits until the spell ends non-magical weather and climate effects will not harm anyone within the area beasts will not enter the area unless magically compelled to do so creatures outside the area have disadvantage on ability checks to perceive or find the camp unless you choose otherwise and creatures that complete a long rest in the area gain 1d6 temporary hit points at the end of the long rest. This seems pretty cool. This is like a nifty little buff and uh, just an ease of mind. No more take and watch. Right. On a very utilitarian adventure level, this is the spell you take to make sure that you get to take long rests. In addition to sort of the 
more obvious uses that adventurers might have in the spirit of Dispel Magic and thinking about how this might impact the world. The first thing I think of is that this would be a really great spell for nomadic peoples to have. The spell is has the ritual tag and it's available to druids and rangers, which it's a little reductive to say that nomadic peoples might include a large number of druids and rangers, but I think it's also in a trope sense, that's what you would expect. If you imagine that a nomadic people kind of got to learn the spell and there was enough people who knew the spell in a nomadic society to cast it consistently, then they could start pushing into climates where they might otherwise not really be able to exist. I can see in a story sense also this being proprietary to a particular tribe and mm -hmm. or peoples. And that's how you your party learns it is you've befriended these folk and help them out in some way. And in kind, they've taught you this really cool spell to help you in your travels. Yeah, I think one trope of of D&D settings is that there's this one part of the world where dinosaurs exist. And this would make perfect sense for the people that live in that region to know because it says beasts will not enter the area unless magically compelled to do so. So dinosaurs count as beasts. This is sort of the perfect spell, I think, if you wanted to go hand in hand with some world building for prehistoric the people, settings. Yeah, the people who inhabit those prehistoric regions where there's lots of giant, terrible animals that you would think people just couldn't coexist with. Well, they do, and they just do it by casting make camp and, and making it so that whatever they're doing, the dinosaurs can't follow them home. What's next on the docket? It, something has to do with time. Yeah. Another spell I want to talk about is a spell called Oscillating Chronology, which was written by Amber Litke. You can find her on Twitter at quantum underscore synergy. Amber submitted a few spells for the book and all of them are truly great. Uh, so, so we're going to be doing this one and then one other by her, but we're going to start with Oscillating Chronology. The Oscillating Chronology spell is a first level transmutation. It can be cast as a ritual. It takes one minute to, to cast normally. Range of touch and is instantaneous. You touch a non-magical object that weighs no more than five pounds, that is neither worn nor carried, and cause it to either age forward or backwards five years. Any natural deterioration that time would cause the object to suffer is either caused or reversed. For example, a rusted iron sword could return to an untarnished state, or a wooden chest could be aged until it's rotting and easily broken. If the number of years would cause the object to become unmade for any reason, the object instead ages forward or backwards as far as it can while still remaining an intact object. I really like this at higher levels addendum as well because when you cast the spell using a spell slot of second level or higher both the number of years the object can be aged and the maximum weight of the object increase by five for each slot level above first as you become increasingly more powerful you can age bigger things and you can age them for longer or backwards longer whatever the word for that is it is a very elegant way of doing scaling no she I killed it she, yeah, she, she did a great job. Go to go to Twitter, follow her. Do yeah. it. Do it now. Do it now. So one of the things I love about this spell is that there's no obvious use for it. Not right off the bat. Like not an obvious adventuring use for it. You can imagine that it would be useful to have. Mm-hmm. 
but it's difficult to picture exactly what the situation that's going to come up where it will be useful. I bet I could do this, this. is going to come up. Yeah, like yeah. I'm going to find a rusted out lock or I'm going to find, you know, whatever else. The first thing that I think of in line with the chest is a door, just getting through a door, aging it out of almost existence. Right. It's, sometimes it's you fail those lockpick checks over and over again. And the one thing that's stopping you from going forward is this stupid door. So using this level one spell can really age that sucker up. Yeah. And when I was thinking about it in the context of this episode, what I really honed in on is that the first episode we talked about mending and we did touch a bit on prestidigitation Mm -hmm. when we talked about that. This spell really feels like the final piece of that triumvirate Mm -hmm. where manipulation of matter almost. Yeah. So mending is going to let you fix anything that got broken kind of maybe on purpose. Prestidigitation is going to let you clean it. Mm-hmm. An oscillating chronology is going to let you reverse kind of any natural deterioration. So between these two cantrips and this level one ritual spell, you should never You're covered. really have to replace a physical object yeah. that you own. In terms of, of how this impacts the world, I had two ideas and they're, they're both food-based. Okay, well, go ahead. Wines and cheeses, baby. Wow. Wines yeah. and cheeses. You could really get some fine wines and some great cheeses going, and they'd be plentiful. And that's a cottage business right there. Right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's a ritual spell and it doesn't have a cost associated with the material component. So, so you can cast this, you know, mm-hmm. a, a ton every single day. I mean, 11 minutes to cast it. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to do the math, but anyway, you can cast it <laughs> a lot. Delicious. Yeah, that, that's really making me think of Stardew Valley. <laughs> but yeah, totally. On yeah. your mayonnaises, five years of mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, like wine, cheese. I think like pickled stuff sometimes. Pickled things, like, maybe. Yeah. Sure. Olive oils. <laughs> Love is it. That, is that how you say olive oil? Yeah, olive oils. Yeah. Olive oils. Oh, yuck. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought about that at all, but that's a really awesome use for it and you're like we, we gotta go see this rich noble all we can afford is this awful wine let's age it up real quick and just really impress the the socks off of this person right i mean i can even imagine a very enterprising wizard getting this spell buying fresh bottle of wine from this noble and aging it a bunch and then selling it back to the noble right <laughs> at like a, at a really high uh markup and then be like, did you like that? I can make more of that. The old chrono <laughs> switch. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a really fun idea. What What were some of the things that you were thinking about for this? Well, I mean, that's an awesome world building thing that I had not considered. What I was thinking was kind of unusual tactics that adventurers could use, because this doesn't at first blush seem like it would have any immediate adventuring use, mm-hmm. right? Okay, but what you could do with this spell, and actually, since it's a ritual, you could even age something until it's, until it's decomposed or rotted and then rewind it later. What I was thinking is that you might buy like a, a big cage, I guess, oscillate it into it's until it's rusted and busted and just like kind of like the bottom of the cage is all that's left. Then you put some kind of food or something 
on the cage. Okay. So then you you attract a monster, and then you kind of oscillate it back into its state of repair. And you got a trapped monster. And then you've got a trapped monster. It would take a, like a bit of doing to sort mm-hmm. that all out. You'd have to find some way you could be in contact with it for a minute without that monster getting at you, which might mean a bear trap, like might mean a bear trap that Mm -hmm. prevents the monster from moving. It might mean some weird setup where you're like under the bottom of the cage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) touching the bottom of the cage to like have it rebuild on top. Get creative. Come on. But yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like this oscillating chronology is a really good example of a spell that invites you to be creative about how you apply it. We often talk in this podcast about the logistics of moving goods, I've found. Right. If you're moving produce or I was thinking dried fruit, you know, you oscillate all your fruit dry and then it's a lot easier to cart around and you're saving on costs that way. A little more mundane, but. uh... Yeah, I mean, one problem with that is that you touch a non-magical object. So you're having to cast this per piece of fruit, but. I can imagine that in certain cases like vanilla, there are real world produce that are so highly sought after. This would be worth doing for for those kinds of objects. Or maybe if you're trying to circumvent taxes, import export taxes, so you're making all of your cloth look really shitty. You're making all your cloth look really bad and you're like, but the, these are just rags. Why, why do I need to pay so much? And then it turns out like, no, there, there's some pretty nice silks going on in here. Oh, there's no tax on rags in this city. <laughs> Luckily, the, the crown has revoked the yeah. rag tax just last year. <laughs> Lots of shenanigans I think you could get into. Now, the next one has some pretty fun possibilities. It's almost like a short-term teleportation. So the final spell I want to talk about today is called Part and Parcel. This was was also written by Amber. Part and Parcel is a third-level conjuration spell, casting time one action. The range is touch, and the duration is instantaneous. You touch a non-magical object that weighs up to 10 pounds and magically transport it to a creature with which you are familiar. The creature realizes you're the sender if it knows you and has the opportunity to reject the object before it arrives. If an object is rejected, you immediately become aware of that fact and it remains where it was when you cast the spell. You can send the object across any distance and even to other planes of existence. But if the target is on a different plane than you, there is a 10% chance that the object appears in a random location somewhere in the multiverse instead. At higher levels, when you cast this spell using a spell slot a fourth level or higher, the maximum weight of the object increases by 10 pounds for each slot level above third. When you use a spell slot of sixth level or higher, the object can be magical and the maximum weight of the object equals 10 times the spell slot level. That's pretty cool. I like that a lot. You read the spell and you're immediately like, yeah, I understand the world building potential mm-hmm. of the spell. It's like, oh, okay. So you've got an interplanar postal service. Bingo, basically. bango, baby. Yeah, right. But one of the things that's that you seem to laugh at when you read, Dane, mm-hmm. was that the recipient has the <laughs> opportunity to reject it. Return to sender. Object unknown. 
Why did you laugh at that? Just, I, I, I love the idea. Well, I mean, I, I can see this being like, I don't want this bomb. Like you're right. trying to send me a bomb. I don't want it. <laughs> um, you know, but if, if it's, uh, if it's a, an ally and they're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's right. just funny to think about in a battle yeah. where you're like trying to send them this and they're like no i'm busy killing people i don't need this object right now just the hijinks i'm laughing at the hijinks i asked because in an earlier version of the spell it didn't have a rejection clause it uh-huh. was just the You're just uh, pushing things it just, it just, yeah exactly it's just like you just <laughs> just the thing would show up and this is i think one of the weird things about game design is that sometimes you could read that and you could think okay well i understand that the purpose of the spell is to send an object to a friend or an ally mm-hmm. that wants the object or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you don't really think through all of the use cases, right. you don't get to the point to where you're like, oh, this means that I can just teleport a contact poison to, right. to somebody. I was thinking like a, on a, top of them. a dagger right above their head. Right. You, yeah. Some hot coals down their pants, you know. Yeah. Like I've got 10 pounds of lava and I'm going to just <laughs> send it to the king. Sorry, king. Yeah. Talk about a royal hot foot. Oh, boy. Is that an expression? Nope. Okay. What I wanted to ask you, just for clarification, would you count a potion as a magical item? Well, yeah, absolutely. I see this as being very helpful for getting a potion to somebody who needs it real quick. But then you'd have to be a sixth level spell slot. Uh, so maybe the utility of that is lost if it's a if it's a magical item. I don't know exactly why we implemented a, a limit on whether or not the object was magical. It might have been related to like weird shenanigans about sending sure. an exploding magical item. Or mm-hmm. Since we already talked about how in another episode we've talked about how ninth level spellcasters must be somewhat common. Yeah, this is just an eleventh spellcaster, eleventh level spellcaster. You know, you can imagine that with all the other things we've talked about with either the magic mouth telephone system or using a more straightforward animal messenger or something like that, you might be able to request from whatever guild operates this this interplanar delivery system. You might be able to request like, hey, I actually need a healing potion right now. Can you get Mm -hmm. one to me? Mm -hmm. And they like bill your account and send you one. That's kind of fun. If you're able to cast the sending spell and you do a request like that, they're like, all right, it's going to be 400 gold. And you're like, yes, I need it now. Right, right. No, yeah. So one of the things- out out the wazoo. So one of the things that's that this spell does because it can send things across the multiverse is that it, it opens up the idea that like, merchant guilds no longer have to be limited to just the world they exist on mm-hmm. a merchant guild can be kind of inter interplanar so you can move goods throughout the planes using this you can shuffle magic weapons to 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 worlds where there's a lot of conflict you can shuffle magic potions to worlds where oh, there's wow. a lot of disease or whatever else like you can kind of i mean you can really move things where they need to be yeah. and where the market is is calling for them and just the which, pranks just the number of pranks just the pranks oh think about the pranks because they're like well they know what it is right so i guess 
I guess it's tougher, but I don't think it know. I don't think they know what it is. The the creature realizes you are the sender. Okay. It doesn't. So, oh yeah. Know, then, then you can still you can still totally prank forever. Them. Yeah. A bucket of water. Right. Not on their head. Well, I don't think you get to decide if it falls on their head or not. That's too bad. That would be a funny addendum to the spell that you be cooler if they did separate separately get to decide if the object you send falls directly on top of their head. That's a DM right. move. That's a DM that's a, move. That's a, yeah, that's definitely a DM's discretion type of thing. <laughs> I love this spell. It, it's it's really cool. I want it in my there's, campaign yeah, right there's now. A, yeah, exactly. It's, it's just immediately you can imagine a whole infrastructure built up around the spell existing. Especially if it appears and there's a like a ding. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely makes or, me think of... Pop. It definitely makes me think of um, some of the newer Legends of Zelda's where there's like a postal service mm-hmm. there. I immediately, I see the spell and I'm immediately like, yes, I want a quirky, weird interplanar postal service where there's like a male person that comes around and special delivery. Hey there, and, chums. <laughs> yeah. What can I send for you? Exactly. It's it's me, Jiggery, your friendly in a plainer male person. You want that bag of feed to your chicken? Yeah, I guess it's just a creature you're familiar with. Yeah. So you could say if you if you were away on business, I gotta could, feed my cat. Yeah, you could just send cat food home to your cat. I'm sure Fluffy's gonna really enjoy this fish. Ding. If you were on a different plane, you'd probably want to send it twice just in case yeah, that 10% case. chance procked. How, so how do you deal with that 10%? Are you doing a, a D100? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Okay. I mean, you, you could just use a D10 because oh, I guess so. Yeah. It's the same thing. Basically. Everyone likes rolling a D100. It's the best part of the game. I, I don't know if I, that's a position I've heard before, but that's fine. I don't really care. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can use whatever you want. And, and I mean, you could also use a D20 and it would be like the one and the two on the D20. So, I mean, the other fun thing about this is that it opens it up uh, like an evil Jeff Bezos, the the opportunity yeah. to have a Jeff Bezos analog, in, in, I guess. Yeah, in game that you can destroy or undermine. That's the BBG. And that would, that would be a lot of fun. Evil empire of interplanar senders. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Big smiles on their faces, all of them. Super creepy. If you have a good idea for what the D&D setting equivalent of Amazon would be named, I would love for you to tweet it at us at Dispel Magic Pod because I feel like I need... There's some fun ones out Evil there. fantasy Jeff Bezos. I, I don't know why I say evil because it's that's Just redundant fantasy jeff bezos sure uh in in D and and I'd, I'd like to have a really clever name and if you have any other ideas for any of these spells please send them to us at dispel magic pod on twitter and check out benjamin's book the ultimate adventurer's handbook it's on the dms guild check it out today benjamin where can we find you on twitter you can find me at sterling vermin you also could find me on my website sterlingvermin.com wonderful and you can find me on twitter at dane and danger that'll do it for this very special episode of dispel magic we hope you've enjoyed this episode of dispel magic we look forward to seeing you again after your next long rest
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin at Sterling Vermin and Dane at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw.